welcome to the Whitetail Hustler podcast. Um, I'm an idiot and I don't know what I'm doing. I bought this stuff on Amazon and I hit record. Um, but we're here. We're doing it. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm not quite as much of an idiot and I figured out how to upload a podcast. Um, so thank you if you clicked on play. Um, first off, I want to say thank you to everyone who's supported me. I know this is the first ever podcast, but I have other platforms, other social media platforms. So if you support me on TikTok or Instagram or YouTube or you're in my Facebook group, I think we have like 838 members now in my Facebook group, which is kind of wild um, that there's 838 people out there that want to see what I'm doing. But, you know, it, it's just wild to me. So I want to say thank you to each and every single one of you over there. And I also want to say like the biggest thank you and show my appreciation to every single person who's gone to whitetailhustler.com and ordered a t-shirt or a sweatshirt or a hat from me. Um, you guys are the reason that I'm able to go on Amazon and buy some equipment to make a podcast in the first place. So thank you for that. Um, I don't know what this podcast is going to be in an its entirety. We're going to talk about whitetail stuff, obviously, and hunting stuff, but I don't know what it's going to be. It's going to be kind of just like uh, hit record and talk. So uh, just bear with me as I try to figure this stuff out. I'm not a smart man, but I, I, I can figure things out. Um, but I also want to say um, a huge thank you and to some guys who have reached out to me and either you know wanted to work with me or give me some product. So first off, Old Barn Taxidermy down in Fort Madison, Iowa. Sam and Linda Gaylord down there. Uh, top notch facility down there. Sam and Linda, if you guys are listening, I love you guys. I hope to see you guys here soon. Um, but Sam and Linda are great people down there. So if anything, if you're in Iowa, anything for taxidermy, meat processing needs, go down to Old Barn Taxidermy near Fort Madison, Iowa, and get your deer mounted up and cut up down there. All right? Get down there. And then Horn Hunter packs.com horn hunter i've been wearing one of their bino harnesses since like 2019 i bought it at gander mountain or gander outdoors i can't remember which generation of gander it was um but it was on sale uh they're closing closing the door sale i saw the bino harness and i was like huh i usually just put my binos on my chest through like the thing that comes in the box when you buy binoculars and I was like, it'd be cool. I see all these big professional hunters wearing a bino harness. I'm going to pick this thing up. And I've been wearing a Horn Hunter bino hub since 2019. And they saw that in one of my TikTok videos. And they were like, hey, we see you're wearing one of our bino harnesses. We want to send you some other stuff. And I kind of ignored them for a little bit. I was like, ah, this seems weird. I was like, I don't know why anybody would want to work with me. I think it's someone trying to scam me. And then I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to reach out to these guys. And it turned out to be the guys from hornrunnerpacks.com. And they're super nice guys. They were like, hey, we've seen you've been wearing one of our bino hub harnesses. And we want to, you know, get some more, some more of our product in your hands. So they actually went ahead and sent me one of their packs, one of their frame packs, their full curl light G3 combo pack. And I've been using it for like the last month whitetail hunting and i can tell you right now it's pretty slick it's got enough capacity for me to carry my camera arm my camera gear my i've been carrying a tree stand on the outside of it as well as my climbing sticks it's got plenty of space to put stuff i haven't even used every single pocket on it 
and it's it's worked. So if you're looking for any type of bino harness or you're looking for a pack or a frame pack for whitetail hunting, they're on a little bit on the cheaper end for those guys who are looking into getting some things. I can tell you right now that frame packs are totally worth the money. It takes a lot of the weight and the uncomfortableness of wearing a pack, especially if you're hiking in long distances. A frame pack is the way to go. Um, so yeah, I want to say a huge shout out and thank you to Horn Hunter guys and Old Barn Taxidermy crew. Both guys in both facilities. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm rambling too much right now. But I want to say a huge thank you to every single buddy, every single person there. All right. I'm going to stop rambling and we're going to get on with the episode with my dad. Thank you for tuning in and thank you for watching or sorry, not watching, listening to my podcast. See, I'm rambling too much. All right. I'm just going to get to the interview with my dad. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Good Lord. All right. So I've got my dad on the phone. Um, Figured for the first episode, we kind of talk to him and just kind of see where things started off. Um, So dad, first off, um, I just kind of want to start off by asking, you know, I, I know a little bit more of the story, but I want to get your end of things. Um, kind of like how hunting started for you. Like what was your first experiences um, in the outdoors? Or let's just say, uh, what's the kind of first thing that got you into hunting itself? Yeah, sure. Um, thanks, Zach. Um, in all honesty, um, an 880 power line BB gun and a whole bunch of sparrows in the backyard is where it really the passion kind of came into play. The mom and dad got me a BB gun when I was little and uh, grew up in small town Iowa, so you could get away with those things back in those days, walk in the neighborhood, and and for the most part, shooting sparrows. Okay, and then, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I, statute of limitations are probably gone by now, um, but I guess most people can probably relate to that. Um, I know I for sure can shooting squirrels and stuff out the back door. Um kind of in the same scenario um what about deer hunting uh i know that you grew up more of a uh shotgun um part party hunter shotgun hunting i guess i don't know that directly from like the time you were in high school or growing up so let's start off there deer hunting where it started off for you whether it be i don't know what age was that yeah so i'm gonna probably think around 12 or 13 years old um this was a time back in iowa when um, deer were hard to come by. And, um, if I remember right, it was, um, most people, um, were issued a buck tag and, uh, doe tags were extremely limited and far and few between. And, uh, it was hard to fill a buck tag back in those days cause you were lucky to, to see a deer. So, um, yeah, we started out party hunting and, uh, I pretty much hunted with that same group. It was all for the most part, family members, um, all the way through high school and, and outside of high school. And, you know, as, as I think the, what they call the 10 year program or the set aside program, um, grew to be fairly successful throughout Iowa. And that's where farmers were paid by the government to set aside ground from growing crops. And, and the idea was to allow the, allow the ground to recover for a bit, uh, that allowed for a lot more habitat. So just in that, uh, four to six year span, um, we went from, uh, you know, being lucky to get a doe tag to where everybody got a doe tag. Um, it was hard again then to get a buck tag. They kind of reversed things around on us. Um, but we went from getting one to two deer a year to, you know, a party of seven, um, filling every one of their tags, uh, within that week time frame. 
Yep. So I just Googled something real quick. This is from the Iowa DNR themselves. So this is just an estimated. This isn't. This is way before you. Um, but the estimated population in 1936 statewide, statewide, the numbers were between between 500 and 700 animals itself. Um, and then by 1950, they reported uh, in most counties and statewide, the estimated population was 10,000. So you can see the state of Iowa was conscious about uh, bringing back the deer herds in Iowa, and they were very conscious and, you know, put some effort into that. And as you can see, um, just in, you know, what was that, 14 years, they uh, 10x the amount of animals, which for in white-tailed deer isn't very hard when you get does producing two or three fawns a year. Um, so what was, so I, I now hunt and run around the same areas as you do, or you did when you first started. Um, and I know you've been out of Iowa for a couple of years, but the last time you were here, what has the, um, habitat that you saw come back from that time period kind of. What year do you think, and has it changed much since then? Do you think we've lost habitat? Do you think it's kind of stayed the same? Um, I know, I, what year do you think the uh, the farmers, you know, I'm not trying to pick on farmers or anything, but it seems to be like farmers are ripping out more and more habitat, and it just seems like it's, uh, I, I just want kind of want to get an idea and a feel of like what the habitat back was back in those days. Yeah, Um it was still, you know, lots of um, cover. When I say cover, you know, tall grasses along the fence lines. They weren't getting the price, you know, for corn that they are getting today. So farmers weren't necessarily tilling right up to the fence line. Um, there seemed to be more grass areas. And uh, that's just outside of, you know, that 10-year program um, that the government did with the farmers that just seemed to um, just be a lot more space. And I don't know, it's because they didn't have the equipment then. Uh, to necessarily work the ground like they do today. Um, I, could, I grew up with Grandpa having an old Alice Chambers and an international foot, uh, tractor. So uh, it could be, you know, the equipment made a difference. Obviously, the price of corn uh, makes a big difference. And um, uh, the price of land itself, too. Um, we went to see where, I think when I came back to Iowa from the military, you know, you could still buy an acre of farm ground for Fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars an acre, and that's um, that's well, that's farm ground. And any more farm yeah. ground with the good CSR values going for ten times that, ten thousand, right. maybe fifteen thousand in this area. Yeah, yeah. And then with the popularity of, of hunting, especially with Iowa um, having the popularity it has to do these days, um, timber prices have gone through the roof as well. So um, just trying to buy a eighty pl- eighty acre plot of timber is out of reach for most people. Yep. And so I've talked with, uh, I'm not going to name names obviously for, uh, their sake and just kind of, I hunt properties, but you know, I've talked to, um, you know who, and he said, you know, he bought that farm, um, from his dad back in the, I think the fifties, he said for $500 an acre. Mm-hmm. And now that property would be worth $5,000 an acre. Cause it's all technically considered uh, farm ground even though there is 80 acres of timber on it everything else is hay so they can you know they can make hay off that they could turn it back into tillable you know it's it's crazy so that property you know was bought for $500 an acre and who knows maybe 20 years down the road he could sell that property for $10,000 an acre they're not making any more ground so it's it's uh it's a rough time and it's especially for Iowa when, when you got people who um 
dream about coming here and you got all the big TV shows and stuff saying, oh, Iowa's the best, Iowa's the best. And, you know, we actually, the state of Iowa only has, I don't know if you know this or not, Dad, 6% of Iowa is considered timber. And 2% of Iowa ground is considered, or is public land. So we have some of the least amount of timber and the least amount of public access in the greatest state, which kind of, that's kind of our default. That's why you're seeing now. I don't know if you've been paying attention, you pay attention. I know you don't have Facebook uh, anymore, dad, but I don't know if you've been just seeing the giants that are being killed out of Ohio. Um, Ohio is really stepping up and killing some big deer. Um, but I kind of want to take a step back really quick. Um, and I know when I was growing up, um, you were more of a, you would pick me up from a babysitter or something and it'd be like, dad always had his, I don't know if it was just maybe a time frame where it just clicked for me, but you always had turkey call in your mouth or you're in your truck. So were you, would you say you're more of a turkey, turkey hunter than you were a deer hunter growing up? No, um, growing up, uh, turkey hunting wasn't necessarily a thing. Um, it was rare that you saw a turkey in the state of Iowa. It probably wasn't until, uh, the nineties when, you know, I, I don't know when Iowa DNR introduced the turkey um, back into Iowa, but the you know the good news is is the population exploded, yep. and uh, it was it was maybe good five six seven years. You know, once you started seeing more turkeys all the time on a regular basis, that I kind of thought, hey, this is something I want to jump into and um, figure out how to do. So the, you know, the number one step was you know g- grab a turkey call, throw it in your mouth, and try to make some sound with it and try to improve. So mm-hmm. whenever I was in my pickup, it was constantly practicing how to make those turkey sounds with some weird reed in your mouth that, that just felt absolutely abnormal. So did you have some, did you have, did you buy a DVD? Cause I, I remember a CD or a DVD that you'd play in your yeah. truck that had natural hen calls to it. Yep. I think it was Hunter Specialties. Um, I kind of favored them a little bit because they were headquartered in Cedar Rapids. I don't know if they still are today, but, um, you know, you wanted to support the local business. They were starting to put some shows on, on television. You know, this was before YouTube and the internet was really a thing. And uh, watch their shows, see that they had some product out there that was going to make you a great turkey hunter. So, yeah, and sometimes they even came in kits. So you got a, mm-hmm. you might have gotten a VHS tape or a cassette tape um, used to practice with the re- with the reads that you bought from them. Okay. So one of my earliest, earliest memories of going hunting would have been um, probably, uh, I, I want to say it was probably a pheasant hunt. Um, did you do a bunch of, what was the pheasant population like? Uh, I was lucky. I was part of the generation in Iowa where, um, Pheasant hunting was extremely good, and I think again I counted to that that ten year program that the government did and set aside you know lots of grass and cover for them. Um, we used to be able to go out and um, you know you could have six in possession, so we would go out in the morning, shoot our three birds, come back, clean them, throw them in the freezer, grab some lunch, go back out and uh, do it again. Yeah, and I know that that was probably one of my earliest memories. I remember going out walking with. You, Cheyenne, I think Tyson and um, Todd, and you—you yep. know—you let me carry the BB gun. I believe Rachel even went with us a couple times. 
Um, and then uh, one some of the other early memories would be, you know, tagging along turkey hunting. I remember a time going out um, and sitting with you and Rachel and having birds hang up at 60 yards. And I'm like sitting there freezing my butt off, sitting on the ground. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, it was one of the earliest memories. But then the uh, the yearly week-long dad's off shotgun hunting, doing the party hunting thing. And then we all meet up and we go to Todd's place and see all the deer hanging there. That was probably right. probably my first introduction to deer hunting although i never got the the shotgun um i guess tradition that most guys grew to love and do every single year you kind of fell out of the shotgun hunting realm about the time that i was coming of age that you were going to get me yeah. started deer hunting do you, do yeah, you know it, was it was it because of a safety thing or was it just because you know the the bow hunting aspect of things that's what you were kind of diving into at that point or a little bit of both. Um, your older sister, I took her um, shotgun hunting with us. I think she got to go two years. and uh, But again, um, it was becoming more and more popular because there was more deer um, at the time. And because of the popularity, you're running into more people. And um, uh, I've heard enough 12-gauge slugs fly over the head. And uh, it's to the point where it wasn't worth exposing you kids to that. Um, so actually, my brother, Tyson... Um, got me involved with with the archery side of the house, which I really didn't show much interest in. And uh, But it wasn't until I got a bow in my hand and, and went out there for the first time during a rut and, and, and got to experience what happens during that time of year, I was sold. So. so do you remember what year it was that you got your first bow? Was it 2007? Mm, that sounds about right. It yep. Because I, so I got my first, you bought me my first bow in 2008. I want to say it was my 2008, the year that I turned, um, well, I think it would have been 11. Um, so I think it, you had done the uh, archery hunting for a year and got to experience it. And I know that my side of archery started uh, probably about the same time yours did. I remember um, Tyson coming down to the house, shooting his bow in the backyard at a Glentel tar- target. And I remember, I think it was shortly after that you had actually picked up a bow um, but our neighbors, do you remember who it was, uh, Drew Christensen? Yeah. That family. So they had that old, you remember that old bow that you, it was a compound bow, but you just pulled it back with your fingers. I think right. that was like my first experience with any type of really archery equipment. And I, you know, I saw dad and uncle Tyson shooting a bow in the backyard. Obviously that's something that I'm going to be interested in. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember flinging arrows all the, all the time with that. And then even, you know, cut going down on the nature trail behind the house and cutting down, um, old, just junk tree saplings and making, um, stick bows and stuff out of those. I don't know if you remember me doing that at all, but I I, I think we still have one here in the closet. I have one in my garage right now. (laughs) I still got, I think it's the first one that I ever made. It's made of a, a sapling, um, a screw for the, like the, the arrow rest, some duck, uh, some for some electrical tape and shoestrings. So that's still hanging around. Um, and then it wasn't, you know, it wasn't very long after um, we got in, you got into the archery scene that you got me into the archery hunting. And I, I believe one of the first deer that I ever, sh- I, I shot my first deer with a muzzleloader, um, a doe. I remember that. Um, I think the next year during youth season, I shot another doe and I believe that was the 2000, 2008 is the year that I shot my first deer ever with the muzzleloader, I believe late season. Was it late season? Late season. Yeah, it was, it was cold. Yep. 
uh, it was late season muzzleloader. Um, and then the next year, I think I shot another doe during youth season. Um, sorry, my phone is blowing up right now. That's all right. Did you tell everybody about the, your first experience with a bow sitting next to each other in a tree stand and how you couldn't get the bow back? Oh, so shaking so hard. So yeah, um, we'll get into that. I'm just trying to mute this, these notifications going on real quick. Hold on. All right. Do not disturb. Um, so yeah, I was going to go into, um, so it would probably would have been October timeframe or even maybe it was youth season. Um, it was youth for sure. It was youth season. Dad, we had this. So I, I had the a great opportunity and, a lot of people don't experience the opportunity that I had getting into archery hunting. You guys actually leased, I don't know, was it a legal contract or did you guys just, it was like an understanding, like, you know, it was a handshake. It was a handshake deal. Like we had exclusive bow hunting rights or hunting rights to this property. So I grew up hunting a property that, you know, nobody else but us was on there. So I didn't have the, you know, having to fight over, you know, who, where's going, who's going where except for the four of us, I believe it was Gopher, Tyson, you and me. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had this tree stand that we called the crossroads and it was kind of like the way I looked at the crossroads was this is the area you go to either one, you want to shoot a doe or the other guys kick you down to cause they don't want you screwing up the good spots. Although the crossroads was probably one of the better spots in the entire timber. I think it, I, I just felt like it was more of like, Oh, we're just going to kick that Zach down down there you'll see all the small stuff you know um but dad and i were sitting up there i believe it was a morning hunt um early it was either youth season or early october and we had this i think it was a you know a little year and a half old buck maybe a two-year-old buck coming in and dad saw him up the lane he's like zach there's a buck up here i look over there and i'm i immediately i start shaking so he's like grab your bow we're just and he grabbed his grunt call i think it was a the buck roar, the mad buck roar, or the primo's buck roar, I think it was. You Something like that, yeah. Grunted a couple times, and this buck turned around, and he come walking straight down in front of us 15 yards, and you're like, all right, pull back. This buck has no idea we're there. And I hook my release on the string, and, you know, this is my first year bow hunting, and I start to pull back, and it just, my, it just, it's like I hit a brick wall. I mean, it felt like Dad turned up my bow 15 pounds. I couldn't move an inch. Um but that was my like first ever experience um, trying to pull back a bow on a deer. And I believe probably the same weekend or the next weekend I had kind of the similar story go on. You were sitting up there next to me and we had a doe come in and I shot underneath her or I shot over top of her, but she was at like 10 yards. I don't know if you remember that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it seemed like, you know, I would have been 11 I think 11, maybe 12 years old. And I think Iowa, you had to be 12 years old in order to sit in a tree stand by yourself. Is that correct? I want to say it was 10, Zach. And I I felt like I got you out there when you were 10 years old. But you had to be able to pull back a 45-pound bull. Which, bowl, is, which bowl. is crazy, but I don't know if it's just the um, evolution of technology. But now Iowa doesn't have a minimum draw length or draw weight. Really? Nope. No minimum draw weight in Iowa anymore. There might be a general a minimal draw length, but I don't think there's a minimum draw weight. I think I saw all that in the regulations this year. Um, but yeah, it wasn't very long after, um, I, you know, you and me sat in a tree stand a couple times, um, with each other. 
And then it wasn't very long and it seemed like, you know, dad was going to sit in his own tree stand and I'm sitting down at the crossroads by myself. So I wasn't, I mean, uh, 10 hunts maybe. And I was sitting in a tree stand by myself. Yep. And it was November 21st. I think throughout October, I think I had either shot at some deer or hit a deer, um, by myself. I, I don't know if you remember that wild night where I lost my phone. <laughs> I don't know if you want to tell that story real quick. So I, I was sitting down on the crossroads and I had a doe come in I pulled back on her, let the arrow fly. And I'm like, I don't know if I hit her. I don't know what happened, but I remember watching her run off and just kind of stand there for a little bit. So I was like, Oh, I must've not hit her. You know, young Zach, no direction. I don't know what I'm doing. Well, here comes another deer and I'm like, Oh man, I'm going to, maybe this is the same one. I'm going to shoot this one too. draw back shoot. And I know, I know I hit this one because I remember getting down and I remember seeing the arrow and it had blood on it. But I think what happened, if I, I have these little flashbacks that I can remember to this day, I think I hit like way, way forward, like through the brisket, like barely just clipping the deer. So, you know, I, I waited for dad to come down and get me. And I, he had gotten me a, this was my first cell phone I had ever gotten. Uh, and he got it for me just for hunting situations. So like if I fell out of a tree stand or something or something happened, I could call dad. So we go off and we start tracking this, this deer that it would have been the first deer that I ever shot with a bow. We go, go off and start tracking this deer and midway through the track, I'm like, Oh no, I had lost my cell phone. And we're like, I don't know, 200 yards into this track, you know, finding minimal blood and dad goes back and he's trying to find this phone and I'll let you take up, pick it up then. Well, I remember it was dark. And, uh, we tried to just retrace our steps and we kept calling the phone. And if I want to remember correctly, I think you had Aerosmith as a ringtone. I think it was bad to the bone. That could have been, yep. That was it. And I kept calling it, kept calling it, kept calling it. And I, and all of a sudden I heard this faint, faint sound of bad to the bone or whatever song it was at the time. And it, it led me right to it. But, um, um, yeah, we're talking about a timber in the fall, leaves have fallen, and it's dark, and we found a flip phone. It was a, uh, it was just a small little yep. black and gray flip phone. I think yep. the I think the the little screen LCD screen on the front was face down, so like we found it just by the little muffling of bad to the bone rustling through yeah the that cell phone ended up being a, a good idea, but it it kind of bit me in the rear end twice because. There was the incident where you lost the phone, and then there was the incident where you got cold and you called your mom, who was 40 miles away, <laughs> Well, because you were cold. Okay, so we got to dive into that story. <laughs> so that would have been, I think, I don't think it was the same year. I think that was maybe the next year. So I got super sick one fall, and I believe I had pneumonia, and I was sick on the couch. Dad and Tyson were getting ready. It was, I think it was... November, it was cold outside. It wasn't green anymore. I remember that. And you guys were just getting ready to walk out the door. And I remember waking up on the couch like, I want to go hunting. I want to go hunting. You're like, you can't go. You're sick. Tyson's like, if you can do 10 push-ups, you can go sit in the tree stand. I, I believe I jumped up off that couch, did 10 push-ups. And Tyson looked at you and you looked at him and you're like, huh? all right, <laughs> here we go. So I think I was sick when that happened. And I fell asleep in the tree stand. 
I remember my bow had fallen off the, off my lap out of the tree stand after I'd fell asleep. I woke up to my bow on the ground. I'm I'm super cold. I'm sick, and I remember I called mom. Did did you sh- end up shooting a buck that night? I don't think so. Uh. Uh-uh. I can't remember. Oh, maybe it was a different night. I think there was a different night that I think it was no, the first buck you ever a, shot with a bow. It was a very very big buck that we had our eyes on. So this is kind of in the stage for everybody's information to where. Um, we stopped, we, we filled the freezer with does, but we were trophy hunting, right? So we all had an agreement that if you weren't willing to mount it, don't shoot it. And there was a, there was a nice buck, um, hanging out in this timber. And it just so happened that that evening, um, that your mom came, uh, and drove into the lane to pick you up. Uh, he stepped out in front of them and they got a good, they got a good look at, look at him. I see. I don't, I don't remember that. Um, but yeah, I got, I was super sick. I got super cold. I had pneumonia. I shouldn't have been in a tree stand, um, but I do remember the deer in question. Um, cause I remember Tyson, he would sit up in his stand. He'd be like, Oh, here come this doe and this small buck. And about five minutes later, here come a bigger buck. And then five minutes later, here come that just giant through. I think he said he the same day he watched that happen five times. A doe would come through, a small buck would be chasing her a bigger buck would come through and then that big one would come through. And I think just, he was just out of range Tyson a couple times. Um, but yeah, so it would have been, uh, you know, we, we back getting back on track here early, uh, my first year bow hunting, uh, it would have been November 21st, 2009. Um, I had been sitting in a tree stand by myself a couple times. Dad was going off and, you know, hunting his, his stands. It was November, you know, we're kind of spreading out trying to get things done um, I think, oh, before the 21st, I believe you and me were sitting in a tree stand. Um, well, it would have been my Ridge, the tree stand that we hung that tree stand on in my Ridge on the South side. And we were sitting there. Um, uh, dad was sitting with me. I wouldn't say it was probably later October dad. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we're sitting there. It's, you know, prime time. Like it's the end of October bucks are starting to feel things. Uh, the does are going to be coming into heat here soon. And we hadn't seen much until about like the last five minutes of light. And it's like the timber came alive. There'd be here come a small group of deer heading out towards this cut bean field. Here come a couple smaller, a couple small group of deer coming in. And then all of a sudden I know my dad was, my tree stand was facing straight North and my dad would have been off to my right side facing East. He was in this little crotch of this tree. There's this tree trunk split and ran up the right side of the tree. And my dad had a tree stand set just to the right of me, a little bit higher than me but he was sitting right in the crotch of that tree. And I remember my dad saying, Oh, big buck right there coming behind a doe. And I remember like freaking out like big buck where, like, where's this deer at? He's, you know, he's like, don't move, don't move this. He, you know, you're right here. He's like, get your bow, stand up and turn around this way. So I stand up and I'm kind of like trying to peek through. I'm like, my eye levels are about, he's sitting down my dad's sitting down on the tree stand. My eye level is trying to look through like the post that's holding on to the seat of the tree stand and his legs. So I'm trying to see what all the commotion going on behind us through, through all this stuff. And I remember seeing a doe coming and she's coming like straight at us. She's, she's going to come to the tree. She's going to be 20 yards. And my dad's like, here he comes. And I can finally see him walking, kind of following that doe, um, through my dad's legs and the doe, I see the doe, she's at 20 yards, and I'm like, oh, this buck's going to come right here. This is done, right? I'm going to shoot a freaking nice buck on my first year bow hunting, right? 
And I think when he got a little bit closer to her, you know, that how the doe does, she kind of takes off and she veers away from us, um, straight east of us, basically. And this buck turns off of the, the route that the doe was taken. And basically he follows this limb all the way out to the field and never offers me an opportunity. And I remember being like, I was like all upset and dad's like, dude, that's hunting. Like this is your first year bow hunting. And you had an encounter with a deer like that. He's like, I haven't even shot a deer like that yet. And they probably, it wasn't the big, big one that we were talking that we, that Tyson had kept seeing. Um, but it was a nice buck. Cause well, we have a shed, remember? Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember later on in that year, uh, it would have, well, let's jump to November. So November 21st, you know, the rut had come and gone. Um, I was the weekend warrior type, right? I was playing sports in high school. Dad took his week off during November 7th to veterans day doing, you know, his week long rut hunting. And I got, uh, I only got to hunt weekends. So it's probably one of the last weekends in November that I'm going to get to hunt. And I'm sitting down at the crossroads and dad went to his, I think you had a stand on the South West side, right up in that, that kind of Valley sitting up there where you had shot your first buck. And I'm sitting down on the crossroads. It's, you know, nice, cool, crisp morning, the perfect November morning. And Gopher had been sitting down in there during the rut. And he had a decoy down in there. Well, the decoy, he had just taken off the stakes and laid off on the side of the logging road. So I'm sitting there. And it's like, it's getting light. And I'm like, looking. I'm like, I can see this deer laying on its side. I'm like, what is that? I mean, you know, this is my first year hunting. I'm like, I didn't even know what a decoy was. I'm like, what is that? And it gets lighter. And I'm like, Oh, it's a plastic deer. And I was like, all right, well, first deer I had seen that morning. I heard this, I heard the crunching of the leaves coming from the north of me. And I look, nothing, nothing, nothing. And then all of a sudden, here comes this little spike. He pops out on the logging road right behind this, where this decoy is laying on its side. And he's like looking at this decoy. And I'm like, oh, this is a buck. This is just a little spike, right? But it's my first year bow hunting. I'd have, I've had, you know, heartbreaker moment of miss and not being able to shoot a big buck in November. I missed a couple deer earlier in the year. Uh, wasn't able to draw on a deer and youth season. So I'm like, well, I'm going to try to fill my tag right now. And I remember it was 25 yards. It was kind of shooting off the back right side of the tree stand because the tree stand faced South and the buck was to the North of me. And he was 25 yards and he was like, his he was facing towards the west and kind of nosing up to this decoy laying on the side. So I don't know if Gopher had put some buck pee or something on the decoy, but the deer was the buck that I had shot was interested in this decoy that was laying on its side. So I said, you know what, screw it. I pulled back that old Hoyt Banshee, uh, settled my pin at 25 yards. I think I had a 20 or a 15, a 20, and a 25 yard pin. So it would have been my third pin let the arrow fly. And I just remember the first time I had ever heard that, right. The first time I'd ever heard an arrow slap a deer through the diaphragm, you know, the, the good stuff arrow hits him. This buck whirls. He basically runs underneath me and I can watch him. He runs up the hill, probably 50, 60 yards stands there and then does the death tumble. And I, that's when the cell phone came in handy. Cause I don't remember if I <laughs> called you or texted you, but you would probably think I shot the state record, you know, I was like, buck down, buck down. And that was, that was cool. That was my first ever, um, deer with a bow and it happened to be a buck. And I don't think I would have had it any other way. Although it would have been nice to have, you know, 160 inch deer 
for be my first one, but you can't, no one, not everybody can have that. But do you remember, uh, walking up on that deer? I do. Yeah. That was, uh, I don't remember. I think, did you ask me, did you say you want to gut it? <laughs> I can't remember if you yeah. asked me if I wanted to I gut always, it. I did the same thing with my brother. So my brother is nine years younger than me. And, um, uh, I always give everybody an opportunity to, you know, learn by experience. So, um, if you're willing to take on the challenge, uh, I'm there to help you, but, uh, absolutely. You got to learn how to do that. I'm not sure I, I did. Um, maybe I just watched you. Maybe I told you, I was like, Oh, maybe next time. But I had been around it a couple times cause I shot a couple does with a muzzleloader during, uh, youth season and stuff. But, um, and then it would have been, let's see, probably that next, that next, uh, turkey season, you were letting me run around with my bow by myself during turkey season, uh, squawking on a turkey call. And uh, I remember I was kind of sitting um, where we had the salt lick on the top of the big hill. I was sitting off the ridge of that to the south. And you and Rachel, I believe, were um, up on top of the logging roads up there on top of the hill, sitting in your blind up there. And I remember it was we were walking out. It was Rachel in front, me behind Rachel, and then you behind me. We're kind of walking in a straight line, walking back to the truck after turkey hunting that morning. Rachel walks right past it. I'm standing there. I'm walking right past it. And you were like, Zach. I'm like, what? I turn around and look. He's like, look at your feet. And there's just this, this shed. And I don't know if it was the same deer from November that we had behind that doe, but it was a pretty decent shed. Remember that? I do. Yeah. Was that the first shed you ever you'd ever found? I don't know. Yeah, because I'm horrible at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so just for full disclosure, even when it comes to mushroom hunting, um, it's one of those things where somebody's got to point it out to me, and then once I see them, I can find them. But um, it's rare that I'm the one to find something on the ground like that. But you weren't the first person to ever encounter that antler either, because Gopher had run over that shed antler and had <laughs> his brow tine in his four wheeler tire. Yeah, you keep mentioning gopher, but does anybody know who gopher is? No, that's fine. Okay. That it's uh he'd be my great uncle. So my dad's uncle, my great uncle. Um he was I don't know what did he was he bow hunting before Tyson was or did he did all of us kind of start at the, around the same time? Yeah, yeah. He definitely started before any of us. Okay. Um but yeah, I remember Gopher, he's like, Oh, that's where that antler was. So he had run over that shed antler and busted off his brow tine. Um, And I believe Gopher went in there, what, two or three days later and found the match side to that, maybe, what, 50 yards away. And it was, like, unrecognizable, just completely chewed by squirrels. I think it was just a little bit of a main beam. Um, I still have it downstairs. A little bit of a main beam, a two, a three, and maybe just a little bit of a four. But, I mean, you put them up side by side, you look at the beams, you can tell it's the same deer. But I don't know, it probably is a clean... 10 point probably 160s you'd say i mean we saw the deer on the hoof right and i remember you would i think it was later on in that season um in the 20 2009 season um you would i think had an encounter with that buck late season muzzleloader right walking into your blind i think so yeah Yeah. just we just never were able to get to him and i don't know if any of us ever did shoot that deer um uh but then you know the it seemed like we evolved um super quick and it th- feels like the years went by fast um basically 
after the 2009 season, I don't know if we hunted much together with a bow other than, um, man, I, maybe late season we hunted with each other in the blind a couple times, but it seems like we kind of just, you know, we were hunting our own tree stands. We were obviously driving out there, you know, having the uh, kind of hunt camp um, type of hunting together. We, you know, we drive out to the properties every day, but we weren't sitting in tree stands with each other much after that. Right. Until I think, what was the last time we've sat in a tree stand with each other? It would have been. Uh, just before I moved to Texas, when you took me down to, uh, I think it was an Iowa river property. And there's a, I yep. got a picture on my phone from it, but that's yeah. just because, um, I don't know why we did that. Well, you had been hunting. Um, I'm not, I don't want to say names of properties, but you had been hunting up, um, uh, how do I describe it? You know where you you were hunting, um, where I'm hunting today. Yeah. I guess I should say, um, and you had been seeing, it, it had been slow for you, but I had went and gotten permission on this river bottom property and had been seeing a bunch of deer. I had shot a deer the week prior. And I think I was like, just come hunt this property with me. We'll go in. I know where we need to set up. I will take some tree stands in there and we'll go hang this tree stand. So this was like, well, well before I got into the mobile hunting game. I had set tree stands on this property, but dad was struggling. And I was like, I need to move a stand a little bit in order to get a good opportunity at some of these bucks that are cruising through this. Um, I think it was a willow patch. It was like a really old mature willow patch that had grown up. And we went in there. I was like, dad, come hunt with me. I had, I had some tree stands. I had those four piece climbing sticks that you slide together and ratchet strapped to trees. And I think we, we carried that stuff in got into a tree and set up and I'm like, well, it's, you know, we'll see what happens. I think it had been your last, it was your last hunt of the year, I think. And, uh, we got set up. I think we had saw a couple deer and then it was probably the last hour of daylight. And I don't know if I rattled or if I grunted or if it was just natural movement, but I remember looking up and seeing a buck coming and this buck, I mean, he was a nice buck, probably one forties type buck. Um, I had a couple encounters with him throughout the season and dad's like, Oh, he's nice. I just, I just don't know if he's quite big enough yet. And I'm like, it's your last bow season in Iowa. Shoot the deer. I was like, this is the first time you and me had hunted together for, you know, since like 2009, 2010 timeframe. It's 26. What? No. 2017. I'm looking at the Instagram post right now. So it's 2017. We hadn't hunted with each other in eight, nine years. And the first time we're in a tree stand with together, dad's sitting there. He's like, Oh, I don't know if I'm going to shoot this deer or not. And I was trying to get him to shoot it. Cause I was sitting over top of him filming him. So we had like a reverse roles in eight or nine years. Right. I'm dad used to be putting me on deer and now I'm putting dad on deer. And then that was the last time we hunted together until I think Colorado. Yeah. Right. So growing up, I remember, you know, the early days of the outdoor channel were, was like my thing. I remember waking up and we were like Lee and Tiffany. It was well before the crush. It was, I think it was getting close was their TV show before the crush. That sounds right. Yeah. Uh, so watching the juries, watching T- Lee and Tiffany, um, wa- just the outdoor channel in general. Um, you know, I was, I was watching everything I could whitetails. Dad had some of the monster buck and the real tree road trip DVDs. I'd watch those every so often. Um, but then dad was, would be sitting there and I'd be watching these big animals that are screaming real weird. And he's like, I want to go out and I want to do this. Dad was wanting to do elk hunt so bad. 
and you had gone out to Colorado a couple times with a rifle. Yep. And shot Second some cows. Second season rifle. And shot some cows. And I think it would always been probably it had always been one of your dreams to go out and archery elk hunt um, in Colorado. And I don't know. Have you you had been elk hunting with a rifle? And I think you found uh, born and raised guys on YouTube, right? And you were watching those guys. And I remember watching the first season with you and you're like, I'm doing it. We're doing it. Right. And you went out, um, you kind of wanted to do the, the born and raised style, but it was just you. You went with some guys that were hunting during muzzleloader season, but you were hunting with a bow. And I think it was 2019 was the first year that we kind of got a small group together and we went out and tried to do the elk hunting thing. Right. Um, yeah. My first time going out, uh, I went out with, father-in-law who was uh, out for muzzleloader season uh, they had a cabin uh, access to some public land the cabin was on private access to public and uh, didn't want to disrupt their muzzleloader stand so I grabbed a bow and and backpack and and uh, came back to the cabin every night but um, you know tried my luck at doing that which was complete defeat well, I think you should have tried a little bit harder. I mean, I don't want to go too much into the uh, the conversation, but um, I actually had went to the same area um, this last year, um, and that's where I had my success during elk or my archery elk hunt. Um, but going into we'll go back to 2019, uh, we had, we were completely green. We had I went out there. I was just filming. I didn't have a tag that year. Uh, dad had brought one of his work buddies along. Actually, I had brought him out there. We carpooled from Iowa. Dad was in Texas at this time. And we met dad out there and we went to, we dropped a pin on the map and went elk hunting. And it wasn't elk hunting. It was nature hike with a bow. We learned yep. um, a lot, but at the same time, didn't learn much that first year. I think we, I don't think we ever saw an elk, but I think we busted one when we were going into that unit. And I think it was 25. Yeah. Remember we were walking in and we busted something and we were thinking it was maybe an elk, but yep. learned a lot, put stretched our legs out in Colorado. Um, went back out in 2020. I went out by myself um, for five days, ended up rolling my ankle six miles from my truck on some blowdown, which was kind of a saving grace because we got a snowstorm between the time that I was supposed to be up on the mountain hunting and my dad and one of his buddies from Texas coming up was going to get there. I would have been snowed in on the mountain. That would have been terrible. Um, but luckily, uh, I rolled my ankle and I was able to get down out of my, get down to my truck and stay in a hotel for a couple of days and let my ankle rest. But same thing, you know, we went out, we got into elk sign that year, uh, different area. We got into elk sign. We were chasing tracks. Um, we just, you know, I don't think I, I got very, very discouraged after three days of not seeing elk and not seeing a bunch of sign, you know, watching too much YouTube, listening to these guys just run these ridges, bugle, 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 and getting responses from elk. I think I just got super discouraged and, you know, we hunted for five days and I think we called it all. I, I, uh, I ripped the bumper off my truck. I think that's kind of what called it for 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, and then 2021, did we go back out in 2021? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm trying to think what was 2021. Okay, so 2021, we went back to the same area. Uh, I think me and Eric had gotten there. We went out and did a evening hunt before you got into town. Yep. Um, the next day, we kind of all woke up a little bit late, right at sunrise. I think we were leaving camp. 
I had packed up my stuff and I was ready to go. Um, I was uh, thinking I was a big macho man. I had brought my recurve with me and I was thinking I was going to shoot an elk with a recurve. Uh, probably should not have done that, but dad and Eric were kind of packing their stuff up yet and it's getting daylight. And I'm like, well, screw this. I'm not going to wait for these guys. I went off hiking on my, by myself. And, uh, I had brought some little judo points for my recurve and I was just, you know, I'd, I'd walk a little bit and I'd pick out a log and I'd, I'd just be stump shooting with my recurve. And I was getting back into some area where me and my, me and dad had gotten into some elk sign the year prior. So I was kind of being more serious and I found this nice game trail and I was just walking along it and I could hear across, across this drainage and up on the other ridge, I could hear a bugle and I didn't know if it was a hunter. There had been a hunter in where we had were camping that had told us that they have a group up in there and I had heard a bugle. So I sat there and listened for a little bit and then I bugled back just to see if I could get a response. And I mean, not 60 yards from me, I'm in this little clearing. There's some Aspen clearings from me. I bugle and I just heard this little, just 60 yards from me. And I'm like, oh, there's an elk right here. So I get, I get my recurve set. I got an arrow set. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I can hear him walking and he pops out a little around this little Aspen bush and there's this little four point elk standing there at 30 yards facing me. I'm like, I've got my recurve right now. I'm like, there's nothing I can do. I need this elk to be at least broadside. And it's like, he come around that corner. It happened so quick. We met, we locked eyes and that elk just turned around and on a dime and left. And then I think we kind of, uh, that's when we, we didn't stay long in that area. There was a lot more hunters there that year than there was the year prior. Um, and I think we probably should have. I think we could have made it happen in that area, but we ended up doing a big move. We went on, we were kind of south central and uh, a little bit towards the northern end of the south central part of the state. And we moved big time. We went up towards north central part of the state, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, got into an area that we think we thought was going to be good got in um wasn't a ton of people we're like "Mm, there's a lot of beetle kill um but it's looking like it's something good uh got back to where we would we were wanting to hunt i think we had found some early summer sign i don't know if anything was too fresh um put a lot of miles in there i mean i think one day we did seven miles or something like that and figured, oh, let's, I don't think we're, let's just, let's kind of figure out what, what we're doing here. We're not quite sure what we're doing. And then we went back to, uh, we went back to the truck and camped around truck for a few days. And I think we were just doing some day hunting around camp, um, sitting wallows that we had found, um, closer to camp. I think, would we spend a day or two there? And then I don't, I don't think we did. We were kind of just discouraged again and packed up and left. Um, and then we didn't go 2022. Um, dad went down to New Mexico. Dad drew a New Mexico tag. So I had, I had two youngins. I had a brand new, uh, baby boy at home and a, a year old daughter. So I wasn't going to go in 2022, but dad, um, got with a guy, um, from Texas and ended up drawing a New Mexico, Mexico elk tag. You want to talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, so it was um, a New Mexico tag um, through an outfitter. So um, really what the outfitter means is is we had a guide that was local to the area, um, that knew the area, that would do the calling and such for us. And 
And um, I tell you, the difference between a draw state and a over-the-counter state is night and day. Um, we were on or sent saw elk every day, bugles all day long. And uh, I was fortunate to um, kill my first bull elk with a bull um, in New Mexico. So how much different do you think uh, a draw state is than an over-the-counter? I mean, you said you every single day you were in elk. But every, every day we were we were calling in bulls. Every and day, it's just a matter you were, of you were a bugling. cow scenting us, or he's sticking with the cows. But we were, uh, it was every, multiple times a day. It was um, getting the bow ready. Could step out any moment and uh, to get a shot. And it's just a matter of whether they wind you or you know feel comfortable coming in. And um, yeah, it was a night and day difference. Yeah, so you were you were not only were you in elk every single day, but you guys were bugling and you guys were calling in elk. You you were telling me that the guides down there they don't bugle. It's yeah, more they don't. Ca- there's more cow calling, but you were oh. you were in bugling elk every single day. Every day, yep. Which is what we were dreaming of, right? When we were going to Colorado for those three years, we were hoping right. we were going to catch bugling elk, but it just that's not the case. Um, and then last year, 2023. Um, I, did, I don't think you, you didn't draw New Mexico. Um, right. And uh, you were busy, so you weren't able. You were, we were kind of planning on going, you and me were going to Colorado. Um, but you got you got busy. You had some work stuff that you had to get done. Um, you were actually going to be in Colorado while I was in Colorado um, right. for work. But I, uh, I was sitting there. I'm like, man, I really want to get back out to the mountains. So I figured, um, you know, I'm going to start planning. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do my do a solo hunt out there. I had been watching a guy from Nebraska. Um, he'd go out there and he'd do these. I think it's Bow Only Outdoors is his name on YouTube. Dad, you should probably look him up and watch him. He's 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 killed a couple great like big elk in Colorado doing it solo. Nice. Um, but I was watching him and I was like, it got me motivated. I was like, ah, I want to go back. I want to try to get an elk with a bow. And. I just started planning. I, I had big and I was very ambitious. I had big plans. I was going to like, uh, I'm going to hike seven miles in, um, get back to where no one else is going to go. And I'm just going to plop my butt down and hunt. Well, it soon and quickly changed plans. Um, when I learned about the Colorado leftover, um, draw. So once there's, so once both the first and second draw in Colorado are done, those tags go then go to first come first serve. So I was looking at a unit that dad and I, and another guy had hunted in 2019. It had changed from a over the counter unit to a draw unit. And I was hoping to go back there. Um, but when I saw that it was over the counter or a draw unit, it kind of was out of the question, but then I saw that it had tags left over, um, in this leftover pile. So I think I had called dad one morning after the, the sale had opened up and I'm like, there's a tag available. Do I buy it and go in all in on this area or do I just go to over the counter? And he's like, you know where to go. I mean, you know, there's elk in the area. You just got to find them. You just got to put your butt in there. I was like, all right. So I bought the leftover tag and I had been doing some on, on X research. Um, you know, I had talked to some guys that had hunted in the area. Um, kind of got a feel for it, kind of got a feel of, you know, what could, what I could expect. Um, and the guys were telling me like the oak brush is thick in that area. It is nasty. And I took it for granted because when I got there, I learned super quick how thick oak brush can get. 
I mean, it was nasty, nasty stuff. Um, but I got back up in there and, uh, man, it was everything that I thought it was going to be is exactly like I thought it was going to be just from looking at Onyx, which it was a lot bigger. The hills, the mountains were a lot bigger than I thought from Onyx being a flatlander. We don't have that much of elevation change out here. So it's hard to get a perspective of how things are going to be. Um, so I was kind of surprised when I first got there about how big everything was and what the oak brush was just because I had been looking at things on Onyx. But my first day, I, you know, I spent packing in. It was the day before season. I got back. I drove for 24 hours straight, got there, packed in, I think three miles. And I was whooped. I set up camp. I think the first thing I realized when I got to camp was I forgot my phone charger at the truck. I'm like, oh no, I can't go without my phone charger. Like my phone's already at 35%. How am I going to, I'm going to have to go back out to my truck and I can't do it tonight. So I was like, turned my phone off and went to sleep. I woke up the next morning. I think I went and hunted for, I think an hour. Uh, There was a wallow that it was down in there. And I think I hunted for the first hour and I'm like, well, my phone's at 14%. Um, I don't really want to have to walk out the same way that I came in because that was terrible. I actually had ripped off three fletchings on my arrows. So I had refletched my arrows before I went out there. I had ripped off a couple fletchings. So I was like, I'm not going back through that area. I'm going to try to find an easier walking area. And well, the second path that I took wasn't any better. It was uh, just as bad. Got into more blowdown um, that was then had a bunch of oak brush growing up through it. That if you ever go there, I'll show you, but I, I don't advise you walking through there because it's just terrible. Um, got back to my truck, went into t- town and actually ate breakfast because I was whooped. I was I needed food. I needed good food. And I went back in that that day, walking back. I was at the very top of the drainage where I was camping. On my walk back in, I took a different route. So now this is my third route going into this area. And if we ever go back to that area, that is the route we're going to have to take in because it is straight through elk bedding, but it's so much easier walking and you're actually, you know, have the opportunity of shooting an elk down in there. Um, I get up on top of this, on top of this drainage and I look across, um, you know, probably a quarter mile above my camp. The first elk that I had seen in Colorado was this, I don't know, probably, 300 inch six by six bowl. I'm like, no way. So I'm sitting there, I'm standing there, I'm looking at this bowl. And I think I had probably bumped him out of a bed. Um, and he was just kind of, you know, getting away from me, but I let him work off and I buggered my butt back down to camp hunted that night. I think I, what happened that night? Um, I don't know if I saw anything that night. I don't think I saw anything night number one of hunting morning number two I think I had gotten up oh no 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 no. so I had a cow come in first night so I had a cow come in down the mountain kind of from the area where the bull was earlier that day but she never came down into the wallow she just kind of milled around up on top of the ridge in front of me but there was uh noise there was cattle in this area so it was on some BLM land there was cattle in the area And I heard some rustling back down behind me. So I was thinking, oh, there's probably a moo cow down behind me or a group of moo cows keeping this elk up higher on the mountain. So the next morning I get up 
And I woke up late. I'm like, it's starting to crack daylight. And I'm like, I'm sore from walking in yesterday and hiking around. And I'm sitting there. I think I was brushing my teeth. And a bull rips off up on the mountain, kind of close to where I saw that bull yesterday. So I grabbed my bugle tube thinking like, I'm going to bugle at this bull, see if it's a hunter or if it's an actual bull. Well, it was an actual bull. Um, we and him bugled back and forth a couple different times. Um, and then he kind of went quiet. But the last time I he had bugled in the same area three or four times, the wind wasn't great for me. Um, but what was helping was the thermals were still coming downhill. So I figured, all right, I'm going to let the wind's going to switch. So Onyx saves um, weather conditions for a couple days when you have service. We didn't have service or I didn't have service. But I was able to see my... Uh, the wind direction and what the weather was going to be for a couple day outlook. And I knew that the wind was going to switch for the afternoon um, for where I was wanting to hunt in the afternoon or that afternoon. But the morning winds were terrible. I figured once the wind, you know, once the sun gets up, the thermals are going to go start going up on this uh, north or it would have been uh, what way would that have been? It have been on the north side of the ridge. So once the sun gets high enough, the thermals on the north side are going to go up. So I figured I'm going to kind of leave camp. I'm going to go find water somewhere else and day hunt, and I'll come back this afternoon and sit on the wallow. I went and found a nice creek, um, took a break for a little bit, got some water, got some food. And on my way back to camp, I figured I'd bugle out across this big drainage. And uh, I bugled, and surprisingly to me, the bull that I was bugling at earlier in the morning had responded to me I had walked around the the foothills, uh, the the very bottom edge of this ridge that this bull was on to get water, and he'd bugled, he'd responded to my bugle up back behind me. So I figured, okay, well he's still there. Um, the winds are switching. I'll just hang out here for a little bit before they so they totally switch, and then I'll go back up to camp, take a nap, and then get back up on the wallow later this afternoon. Uh, go get back to camp, get up. I go sit on the wallow, and no bugles that night. But uh, one thing dad had told me is you'll know when these elk are coming because you'll hear them walking through the oak brush. They sound like a tank rolling through there. And he was right. I mean, these they weren't running. They were just casually walking through this oak brush. But, man, it sounded like a stampede coming down the mountain. And I hear it, and I'm like, oh, hopefully it's this bull, right, coming to check out what was going on this morning. Well, nope, here comes a cow. Okay. And so I'm like, Day two, I've got nine days of hunting. Do I really want to shoot an, a cow elk on day two? I'm like, I'm back here solo. I'm going to shoot the first elk I get an opportunity at. So this cow, she's milling around on the hillside in front of me. And she finally starts to come down the the ridge a little bit towards this wallow. And I had cow called at her a couple times. So she knew something was down there. Um, I didn't really realize this at the time. But she was looking for other elk. Um, so when she comes down into this opening where the wallow's at, she's on high alert. She's looking for any little twitch of movement. She's looking for where that elk is. And she's, I mean, she's standing 25 yards from me when she first comes out. And then she comes out on top of this little berm. And I can hear her ripping grass out of this little meadow. And I can hear her breathing, everything. I mean, she's super close to me. I think she, at one point she was 12 yards to me. And she's super close. I'm sitting in this little blind that I had bushed in and she busted me drawing. So didn't get that elk. But then about 20 minutes later, same exact thing happened. Had another cow come down the hill, 
Same exact thing, except for this time she comes around the other edge of the wallow. And again, she caught me drawing, got downwind of me, blew out of there. So I was like, well, that sucks. I'm like, but I had an opportunity at two different elk on day two. They had two elk in bow range day two. So day three, I'm like, Ugh. I'm looking at Onyx. I'm looking at the weather. I'm like, I have a good wind tomorrow morning, but it's going to shift quickly. I was like, if that bull is still up on that mountain where he was yesterday, I'm going to get in his face. He was fired up yesterday. I'm going to get in his face and try to make something happen. So the next morning I get up, sit on the wallow for a half hour. And I'm like, screw this th sitting thing. I'm going to walk up this drainage where I saw that bull day one and try to get in this elk's face. I make my way up there. And I get up to where I was, um, where I'd seen the elk on day one. I'm like, you know what? I saw a bunch of elk beds and a bunch of elk sign coming up from the truck. I'm going to bugle down this way. Wind's kicking pretty good that morning. I bugle, and I thought I heard a faint bugle. Kind of up the mountain a little bit, but not where he was the morning prior. So I was like, okay, I kept that in mind. I'm like, you know what? The wind's switching now. It's not great. It's kind of blowing straight out of the west to the east, um, which is not good. That's where the elk are going to be. So I was like, I'm going to use the thermals to my advantage. The thermals are still dropping off on the north side. Uh, I'm going to go up the mountain and kind of circle back around and day hunt my way back to camp down towards where I got water the day before and then circle back around. Um, get into this young aspen grove. I mean, it's like a tree farm up there. It's weird. I find a couple elk beds and I'm not seeing much elk sign, but I'm finding elk beds, no rubs, nothing. I find a couple wallows and then I'm working my way up and I get into the top of this meadow on top of this mountain. I'm walking across this meadow and I look up the mountain probably five, 600 yards and there's four dudes standing there. I'm like, oh, was that, was that dudes that I was hearing bugling yesterday morning? I'm second getting, guessing myself so much. I'm like, well, kind of screws my plans of going up the mountain and then circling around. So I'm just going to take a shortcut around and hit some of these benches and stuff. And not five minutes after I'd saw those guys, I dropped down onto this bench and found this fresh wallow that had just tracks littered in it. Well, there's cattle here, but I could tell that there was cattle tracks and then, then there was also elk tracks. So I took a picture of it, marked it on Onyx. And I found a trail where the elk tracks, there was a couple different sets of elk tracks leaving this wallow. So I just started following the fresh elk tracks. I'm like, maybe they're going to lead me to their bedding. Maybe I can find an area that I can day hunt and kind of just do some still hunting and calling. I'm walking for a little bit. I walk probably a quarter mile and I'm getting up and over a ridge and I'm kind of coming off onto this, a new meadow, but on the very bottom side of the meadow and it butts up to an Aspen Grove. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm not going to walk the edge of this. I'm going to walk 30 yards inside the Aspen Grove and kind of just go slow. My, my, the thermals are still pulling up. The wind's not great, but it's throwing my wind just off a little bit, kind of blowing it up towards this, this meadow a little bit. So I think I'm going to be okay. I mean, I walk 60 yards. I'm coming around this little bush. I look down the mountain 60 yards and there's two bull elk standing there. And it, I mean, it happened super quick. I knocked an arrow. I ranged one of the elk, the one of the, the bigger of the two. It said 50 or what was it? 57 yards. I think it was 57 yards. 
Range the elk 57 yards, dialed my sight to 57. Wind is whipping. I'm like, eh, I'm, I'm going to try it. I feel good about it. I draw back. I put my pin right behind the elk's shoulder. Settle in. Arrow flies, and it feels good. And then halfway through the flight of my arrow to the elk, I can see my arrow tail whipping super hard. I'm like, oh, no, what is going on here? I got super lucky. Um, I don't know if I hit something, what was going on, if the oak brush had ripped part of my fletching off and I just didn't notice that it was like it had ripped some of the glue off of the arrow shaft itself and it was just making the arrow fly weird. Um, arrow is flying. I'm like, it's going to miss this elk completely. I think it's going to fly high. And I see this arrow hit and it actually hits the elk um, in the neck and drops the elk on the spot. So I'm I had been carrying a camera around with me for you know, the last three days and I didn't have time. I, I probably did have time, but I didn't uh, turn the camera on, but I turned the camera on real quick, set it up. I'm like I just shot an elk. I need to go put another arrow in it. And I start running down the mountain towards this elk, get probably 15 yards up, up to him. He's not moving anymore, but you know, I'm not going to take second chances. So I uh, put another arrow into him and I run back up the mountain. My first, my first thing that I try to do is I tried calling dad. I think I tried calling dad 20 different times, but I didn't have service. I had one bar of service actually, but I was like, maybe if I get up the hill a little bit further, I can get reception and call dad. And I got, I ran up the hill. I'm super out of breath. I actually get, get a hold of dad and tell him the whole story. And man, if only I knew what I was getting myself into, cause that was just the start of things. That was, uh, uh, that that's a lot of work. I didn't know what it was going to take to get an elk out by myself. Um, but I quartered him. I, I called dad, called mom, tried calling my wife, but she was sleeping. Um, but I get down there and I start quartering this elk and it starts raining on me. I super, I underestimated how far I was from camp. I had actually walked, I think I was about two and a half miles from camp, which is three miles from the truck or something like that. So I was about five miles from my truck through just thick, nasty oak brush. And just, it's, it was a hell hole. Um, got the bowl quartered up. It's, it rained. I'm soaking wet. Everything else, all the foliage around me soaking wet. I'm making my way down the mountain. I get even more wet. And then my second trip, I only did a front. I did trim meat first. That was the first bag down the mountain. The second trip, I was like, I'm going to try to do a rear and a front quarter at the same time. That seems like a great idea, Zach. You're going to try to pack a rear and a front quarter down a wet mountain in the mud, in the wet foliage, uh, with no food. Um, so I did it. It wasn't fun, but I was super whooped after that. And on my way back to camp, I actually ran into some guys that were coming in off of some private to do, there was a guide and two of his clients. And they were actually going to go up and hunt on, uh, in the area that I was camping. So I had ran into them and I was like, they're like, what's that? I was like, oh, it's a bag of meat. I was like, I shot a, a bull up that way. And they're like, oh, I was like, you guys coming in off the private? Yep. And, uh, talked to them for a little bit and they're like, we're going to go hunt up on a wallow up here. I was like, oh, well, that's where I'm camped. Um, I actually plan on either going back to my truck or sleeping up there tonight. And I was like, would you guys mind giving me a ride back to my truck later on tonight? And they're like, uh, I mean, I guess. So I was like, well, 
let me go up there, pack my camp up. You guys can go up there and hunt, and I'll just sit down here in the corner and wait for you guys. And uh, I, it was really nice. They they gave me a ride back to my truck that night, and I slept in my truck and went back to town and actually had a nice breakfast. And then I it was uh, it's time for me to pack my elk out. So I had I had a an arrangement with a guy on private to um, allow me to park my truck there to pack an elk out. Um, he was super great. I'm super grateful for that. Um, and get back in there and I'm start hiking back up in. So I got, I got a front, a rear, the head still up on the mountain by the carcass, uh, front and a rear down by the Creek, um, probably eight, 900 yards away from the carcass. And, uh, I get up to where my first, quarters are next to the creek and I'm missing one. So bear took one of my carcass or one of my front quarters, which, you know, that's the risk you take leaving elk or, or leaving meat on the mountain. I'm like, well, I'm going to use my energy while I got it. So I'm going to go up the mountain. I'm going to try to do a rear, a front and the head down at once. And I get up on the mountain. I'm kind of, I think I'm 300 yards from my elk carcass. And I look up the mountain and I can see orange sitting up there. So I'm wondering like, Oh, Maybe I ran, maybe there's some guys up here. I don't know what's going on. So I'm walk up there and yep, there's two guys sitting up there. They had found my carcass basically about two hours after I left the day prior and they were actually bear hunting it and they had seen my meat hanging in a tree up there and they were actually kind of protecting it. And long story short, those guys that I had seen up on the mountain, you know, a couple hours prior to me shooting my bull were actually the same guys that were bear hunting over my carcass. So they come down, we talk and we chat and super nice guys are from Missouri. Um, they actually offered to help pack my bowl out that day. Um, and that's what they did. Each of them grabbed a quarter. I grabbed the head and, uh, we marched down to the mountain to where the other quarter was. I grabbed the, the rear quarter that was sitting down by the Creek as well as the head. And we marched out of there and, you know, I was, I mean, those guys, I underestimated how much work it was going to be. I thought I was going to be able to get that elk out of there that day, but without those guys, it probably would have been a two day process, quite honestly. So I'm super grateful for those guys. Um, I actually got back to Iowa and, uh, sent them a merch package. Um, been in contact with them since they, one of the guys is, you know, he actually shot a couple of really nice bucks down in Missouri. So congrats to him. If you're listening, um, but I'm hoping here in the next couple of years, dad and I can get back out to Colorado and hopefully both of us can shoot an elk, but it's going to be a lot of work to do that. I tell you that for sure. So, um, we've kind of mentioned a little bit that you moved down to Texas, so you don't get to do much whitetail hunting anymore. Um, uh, I just, I wish you could, I wish, and you know, Iowa, you'd have to draw, and I know that you're probably not going to put in for an Iowa tag. Um, but hopefully we can figure out a time um, some year to get out to maybe, I don't know, Kansas or Ohio and maybe do an elk or a whitetail trip or, you know, or we can just keep doing elk trips every single year. But yeah, I'm good with uh, just about anything. Yeah. And that, and I mean, I need to get some of your deer back down to you because your deer are sitting here in my office as well. Oh, that's all right. Your mom doesn't have room for them. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I figured this would be a, a good starter episode to a brand new podcast, kind of starting about the beginnings of, you know, where I got into hunting and how my dad got into hunting. I figured that would be the, 
the best route to go for a first episode. Um, but if you got anything else, dad, um, feel free to share. No, I don't. Um, thanks for having me on and looking forward to a future podcast. Yeah. Well, hopefully, I mean, we got the holidays coming up here soon. I know mom and uh, Lauren are coming up here um, in January. I don't think you are, but we might be coming down. Um, we got third baby on the way, so we might be coming down um, after that one is born and uh, see you guys. So maybe I'll bring my stuff down there and we can do a podcast in person down there and just talk about yeah, some more that'd be stuff. Good. So. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, Dad. And uh, everybody who's listening, thanks for listening. Um, we'll, uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode.